I'm Steve Vibronix, and this is the Life in Dub podcast, talking to people who live their lives in dub and reggae. Episode number 17. Welcome to the 17th Life in Dub podcast. I hope you're all okay, and thanks for taking the time to tune into the show. Thanks to all of you that have reached out to me to support Life in Dub or ask questions about the show. If you want to get in touch, just email me, vibronix at gmail.com. All the previous shows are on the website, lifeindub.com, as well as on SoundCloud, YouTube, Spotify, and all the usual places. This week, I want to talk about the new series of Scoop's Gold Disc Classic Reissues, a series of 7-inch vinyl reissues. Each record is a classic Vibronix production, but on the flip side, it's a never-before-released dub mix, and we kickstart the whole thing with the very first Vibronix 7-inch that came out in 1998, Jar Light, Jar Love. Some Vibronix music had made it onto compilations in the years before, but this was the first ever vinyl 7-inch single for me, so it was a real milestone. To tell you a bit of my life in dub, I first made the track maybe around 1996, and it was played on dub plate that was cut from a humble cassette tape because I had no dat machine or any kind of professional gear. First to play it was Abashanti, then Iration Steppers, and just before the release in 98, it was cut onto acetate and given to Jar Shaka, and he played it as his last tune for a while. We recorded it here in Leicester with Boney L singing the few vocal lines into a DJ sampler I had that could only record maybe 12 seconds of audio. The vocal was so badly recorded on such a cheap microphone that I played it through a guitar pedal phaser when I mixed it to try and cover up our amateur recording skills and generally shitty equipment. But for some reason, it seemed to sound okay, and Boney L's voice had this unique and ethereal quality that fitted the slow and heavy rhythm really well. And people seemed to like it. And to this day, I get asked a lot about it. And when I look back, I can see this was done with no real plan in mind, mixed on my really cheap equipment in my basic studio, but that was no barrier. I just wanted to make the music and I didn't want to let my studio or lack of skills hold me back, so I just went for it. And for me, that's the most important thing to take from my little story. The re-release is out any day now. Just get in touch if you want to find out more. This week, my guest is Sook from Indica Dubs. It was the first face-to-face interview recorded in the Dub Cupboard studio here in Leicester. In the interview, we find out about how Indica Dub started out, but also about Southall, a part of West London that supported reggae and sound system for years and years. Sook tells us about what he's learned about releasing records and about his commitment and love for the vinyl format. So enough of me, let's get on with the interview. So Sook, Indica Dubs, welcome to the Life in Dub podcast. Thank you, Steve. It's nice to be here. Here we are in the Dub Cupboard studio, the first podcast recording to be done in the Dub Cupboard studio. Yeah, it's an honour for me, and especially with your new layout and everything. <laughs> looking spick and span. Yeah, yeah, nice and clean. <laughs> well, listen, well, as you know, I spoke to you about it before, I spoke to all the guests about it. What I'm doing is asking the same question to all the guests at the beginning of the podcast, just, you know, just to kind of kickstart it all off, because obviously it's life in dub, so it's about your life in dub, so... What I'm asking people is to name a tune that's been really like important to them somehow and maybe change things for them and they look back and think, yeah, yeah, that tune's something that really kind of switched things up for me. So um, so I'm going to ask you have, you, have you got a, a, a tune which really, you know, is a sort of memorable kind of influential game changer for you? Um, it's, it's hard to pick one, but if I think back, there's so many Roots tunes that really like reach out to me. Um but I think two which popped into my mind 
as soon as I had the question, was a tune called Bandwagon by African Pearl. It's a old tune on uh, Ariwa Records. And another so that's one, a Mad Professor production. Yeah, yeah, Mad Professor. And another one on a green sleeves called a Black Star Liner by Reggae Regulars. Um, because yeah, they they touch on topics about like inequality and suffering and stuff. And I saw, I saw a lot of that when I was traveling to India when I was younger as well. So it it all started made made me to see that there's quite a lot going on in the world which I still don't know about and kind of open my eyes to to look into it even more yeah well that's you know reggae is supposed to be like for me it's such an educating thing i've learned so much from it so when when would you have heard these tunes i mean can you take us back to like when <laughs> when you would have like checked those out when they would have come to you somehow i think i was only about 11 or something 10 or 11 because i had um these new next door neighbors moving next door to me and the older brother he he basically had a little sound system, like a 12-inch and a 15-inch sub or something, nothing major, just something in his garage. And I would just hear these tunes blasting from his garage, uh, from my bedroom. I, I didn't know what the songs were at the time. I'd just hear, like, the bass and stuff. And out of interest, I'd just go go over there and just have a, have a listen and see what's going on. So you were brought up in Southall then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. Because obviously Southall's one of those places that's like, you know, it's kind of reggae land. Yeah, yeah. So, and you say you heard it when you were a kid, so it was around you yeah, when you yeah. were young. I mean, he was living right next door to me. Like There was my house, the alleyway, and his house. And then up the road, there was another guy um, who also had a little sound as well, and he was also been collecting records for way before I was born, probably. And yeah, like you said, it's like a little reggae land there. <laughs> And it's something you'd see around, like you'd, you'd hear people talk about reggae and you'd hear it being played and stuff. Because like, like where I come from, in, in like the east of England, yeah, you, we, you wouldn't come across it at all, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it wasn't so much in my school because pretty much no one in my school that I was in class with knew about reggae. It was more like in my neighbourhood kind of thing. There was like three or four different people like within a two-minute walking radius where... You would hear them playing tunes, and and it's it's interesting. You talk about like even before that, like going to India and stuff and inequality. And we talked about it a bit earlier on in the studio and stuff. Yeah. And it's like so you were your your parents were born in India, and and you were traveling back there kind of like regularly as a child. Yeah, yeah, they were both born there, and they moved here in the early twenties. And every other year, I would go with them uh, back to India to visit family and stuff. So I would just see all this stuff. From the moment you get there in the airport, you just see it straight away. There's no like, there's no missing. Yeah, it. that's that. Is. There's definitely no. It's just there. Isn't yeah, it? yeah. As soon as you get there. Yeah. And like, so, so with Southall, it's like because I, I find Southall interesting. It's a bit like Leicester in some ways, and played there many times and stuff. And what? How, how would you describe it to people who haven't been there? Because it's kind of it's, it's like a legendary place where not everyone's been. there. Yeah, yeah. Southall. I mean. The most of two common places were Southwell Community Centre and Tudor Rose. And I'd say I personally went to my first session when I was about 15. And I wasn't even allowed to actually go out at that time because I was still young. Um, but I ended up just doing what I had to do. I just sneaked out of the house one night. It's, it was Abashanti playing. 
Um, and I had heard of Abishanti uh, like way before because I, I had records and stuff like that from my neighbors. And then, yeah, I mean, you'd hear the music blasting from the venue. Like when you go over the bridge, um, you can hear the window shaking already. So before yeah. that, before you went, snuck out and went to like early session, then you'd obviously, you got into reggae music and it had become important to you. And and how how did that kind of thing happen? I mean, when, when did you start to kind of get, you know, more involved in it to the point where you want to go to a session? Um, it's, it's with my neighbours, basically. Like when I used to go over and check them out, um, when they used to, when I never even knew what it was, but when I used to go over and just see what they're doing, with that loud music, basically, I just used to, yeah, I just used to go over and I'd just see like a set of speaker boxes, uh, amplifiers, and just piles of records everywhere. And I just used to like pick up. That was the first sort of time I ever seen a record as well, and just seeing it play on the on a needle, like I just was fascinated by it. Like how how can a needle play a record like a piece of plastic? We're one of the sort of younger guests on the podcast, and it's like I guess you know <laughs> people of like my age and older, we were brought up. With the record yeah, player, yeah. everyone played records. Yeah. But I guess, you know, maybe growing up in your generation, it's not something you saw around. Yeah, this was when I was about 11 and it was 2001 or something. So for me, like, it's the CD generation that I live in. If you know what I mean, CDs, USBs mm-hmm. are the main things. But so to see a record, that was the first time I ever actually saw one and touched one and saw, like, the, late, the, the graphics on records and that sort of stuff really, like, I was so interested. I used to read every little detail on the record from like the rights on the record, everything, because that's what made it so unique. Like every label had its own design. And and that's something you were interested in straight away. You were like the whole thing about a record, you know? Yeah, yeah. It was just so cool to look at, like to just see it, just put on the turntable and the needle go on it and you hear a few crackles and suddenly the song comes on. And what about like going to dances when you were young. I mean, what 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 was it like going to dances in Southall when you were, like, still in school, I guess? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was still, like, 15 or something, so I was, like, not even starting my GCSEs. But, um, yeah, they were really something, something totally different to what it is now. Like, I, I tried to explain this to people, but it's so hard to... So how, how do you explain it then? I mean, how do you start? It's basically, like, Southall Community Centre, the room wasn't that large. Like, it's maybe 150 people capacity, I would say. And this is this. I'm, talk, I'm saying this as an example from my first session I went to there. So when I walked in, I literally had no idea what to expect because my my neighbor told me like what sessions I like. But he, as, much, as much as he told me, it, what the picture wasn't in my head like what to expect. So I got there, and the room was completely dark, and there was one lamp on Abba, and just people just standing in lines like in an oval line like in line, everyone facing towards ABBA, just like everyone just looking in one direction. Like There wasn't people staring at the speaker boxes and stuff like that. And it was basically male-dominated and like all Indians and black people and like the odd white person here and there. For me, like that, for being my first session, it was, it was mad because ABBA was just like, he was just talking on the microphone and he just started a tune and... He hadn't even dropped the bass yet, but I was already in my head thinking, how am I going to survive this? Like, And then suddenly, like a minute into the tune, he just blasts the bass, and I was just like, whoa, Like, what is this? Like, It was like being stuck in some bass vortex or something. I was just blown away, and from that moment, I just thought, 
well, yeah, I'm in the right place. That's it, because you can have it described to you, and obviously these days you can look at YouTube and yeah, whatever, yeah. but you, you can't... The experience of being at a proper, like, heavyweight sound system session yeah, yeah. is like, you, you can't... Um, you, you, you can't really describe it. it, it there's no words. To describe. You have to go there and feel it because it's that physical feeling thing, isn't it? The music yeah. is just vibrating your entire body. Because it wasn't like some sort of party or something. Like now it's more, not that it's more of something else, but now it's more like you can go there, you drink and socialize with your friends. Over there, back then when I went, like I just you just go by yourself kind of thing and you take in the vibe and you just... You see a few friends there, you just nod at them and... More of a kind of meditational yeah, yeah. kind of sort of like a, you know, for want of a better word, like a spiritual thing where people are gathered around to kind of take in, you know... Take, yeah, yeah. Take everyone, the whole thing in. Everyone was just standing together, just like in lines, like it was like... And you just kind of find your space and you just slot in kind of thing and then before you know it, there's someone on the other side of you in a line. It's just... the. Um, it's interesting you mentioned the, the male-dominated audience because that's yeah. what we remember from Southall as well. It's, <laughs> like, it's definitely like, it's a you know 99% male audience. Yeah. You wouldn't really see a female in there. I don't know why, but it's just how it was. And I even remember when you came to Southall in 2006. With um, Sachi. Yeah. But the funny thing was back then, because I was kind of new, I was already like one year into going sessions by the, not even a year probably, and I thought everyone has a sound system, basically. So I was, like, telling my friends, like, yeah, I'm going to hear Vibronic sound system. I'm going to hear Vibronic sound system. Like, I just thought everyone, assumed everyone that is a name has a sound sort of thing. You're not the first person that's, <laughs> like, you know, because been making this sound system music for so long, many people just presume that there must be a Vibronic sound. And yeah, it's, yeah. like, yeah, it's a reasonable assumption to make, definitely. Yeah. And then I heard, like, um, King Earthquake play there. I heard Channel with, 1. With his sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone, all these people with their sounds like King Earthquake, Channel One, Word Sound Power, um, Entebbe, uh, Job Server, all the all the sort of big names. They were all all at um, Southfield Community Centre. And are there any sessions that you kind of think back on as like, yeah, yeah, that was particularly memorable? I think it would be the first time I went Shaka, um, also in Southfield, but it was at Trudeau Rose. It's a bigger venue. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember going there and arriving there on time. Like, I think the start time was like 10 o'clock or something. And I was already there, like 9.45, ready to queue up. <laughs> and um, yeah, there was no queue at that time anyway. Or, or any job shaka. Yeah, no. <laughs> so, I was, yeah, I was just, they, they let me in anyway while they were setting up. Um, so I was lucky for that. And... Well, that's something that's come up on the podcast a lot is this kind of watching a sound string up kind of the yeah. first time of seeing it all happening and the sort of interest and excitement. Is that, is that, is that something you found interesting to see all that stuff Yeah, happen? yeah. That was literally the first time I saw a sound string up because the other session I'd been to, they were like, I used to arrive there like midnight or something like that. But this was the first time I was there um, at the start time before they even arrived sort of thing. And I just, I was, yeah, I was kind of just like, like starstruck to see Shaka anyway because that was the first time I ever seen him and yeah like he was set up the the, the hall was empty at that time because no one was there and he was just setting up his control tower and I still remember it like it was yesterday because I went and stood like right next to him like just outside of his barrier thing like and just standing there watching I didn't say anything though I just kind of just stood and just observed you know I just watched because all these things look so vintage and 
I just thought, what is that? How does he know what that, that was? Because it doesn't say anything on it. Like, it's yeah, exactly. How do you know what any, any of those buttons do? Any of those wires? Yeah, go? yeah. It's like, that's it. It's kind of sort of hidden secrets of the sound system. And you, but you say you you remember that, and like, do, how, do you remember it being different to the other sessions you went to, the, the Shaka experience? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, it's definitely to do with like the sort of. I think it's just him as a person. He has that vibe. He's just some just the vibes from him alone, and then the sound system itself. Like I, I had heard loads of sounds before his, and they were all heavy and like very heavy sub bass and stuff. But his was really different. Like it wasn't so much about the intensity of the heaviness. It was more about the frequencies and sometimes you just turn the bass up to make it sort of growl and that that feeling was just like whoa what is that man because like, I, I I had certain tunes that he had played as well like I already bought them on record but hearing them on his sound I thought my, my tune don't sound like this though like I, then I thought has you got a different record to me is it a different version or something but it's exactly the same 10 inch or 7 inch that he played but on his sound, it was just transformed into something else. Yeah, that's yeah. it. It's a kind of perfect place to play him. And this was in Southall, obviously Tudor Rose. Yeah, yeah. So, what, what have you have you got any explanation why, like, reggae music and and sound system in particular has made such a kind of home for itself in Southall? Why why Southall? I I don't know. I think it's probably got to do with the whole multicultural sort of town, like it being like a Indian and there's also like African community as well and in a part of Southall as well I think that kind of made it so that I think the people could relate to the music more I think I I think most of the sessions that were at Southall Community Centre at that time when I went they were organised by someone who was actually based in that side of London um, West Sound and Power he had, uh, it was him who organized most of those those nights, like with Abashanti and stuff. So it's his sort of area, and yeah, I think so. He brought dub there, and I think from before it was just like Trudeau Rose, for example. Like way before I was born, there were sessions going on there. Um, well, I think there were like live shows and all kinds of things. Yeah, like, like big bands like, would yeah. play there and stuff. Um, way before my time. But like going back to like your story, and it's like what so. You, you'd started going to sessions and started like collecting music and being interested in it. And what, what any, any particular music or whatever you were particularly kind of, that was, that was doing it for you that you remember kind of. Like the stepper stuff, I'd say like disciples, um, your music, like conscious sounds, Alpha and Amiga, all the usual suspects basically. Um, Cause at that time there was, it's, it's only examples of tunes I can give, but, I don't know, it, they were just so hard, like the instrumentals and like, when you, and then when you hear it on a sound system, it just, it was like a whole other experience. Yeah, like, it, takes, it takes it to another level, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And just hearing like the sort of effects in the dubs, I just think, wow, like, this is, how do they even do such a thing? Like, <laughs> So you started, you know, just to sort of continue with your story and stuff, then you started to... Um, just get more involved in it. And this, again, it's a question I've asked a lot of people, is it's kind of, at what point did you really sort of get a bit further into it? Because here you are now, you know, having released dozens yeah, of tunes yeah. and played all around the world and everything. It's like, you know, when, when did you decide to kind of get involved a bit more? Because uh, not everyone does. A lot of people go to sessions and just enjoy them and then that's it. But 
I think I started like I don't know what the point is where I, it switched from a, a listener to sort of heavily involved, but I think gradually over time because first I started linking I, I started linking up with some producers like um, if there was a certain tune out here which was not released, like I would try and search for that tune, sort of thing. Um, and for example, there was a tune by Reality Soldiers mm-hmm. uh, by. A guy called Paul and Nigel El Indio, um, a dub plate called Root Salute, and this thing's about all the sounds in that tune, basically. And I, that was one tune I really wanted. So then I just started searching how to get hold of these people, like. And at that time, MySpace was the place, basically. <laughs> um, so I just searched for him, uh, searched for reality. I saw it there, and um, I messaged him for his um, if I could get the tune, sort of thing. So he gave me his number. We spoke on the phone. And then he kind of, yeah, him and N- Nigel came over to Southall from Hackney. They drove over. I was only like 15 or something at the time. I don't know who they expected to see when they arrived, but they just saw a little kid there, like, just waving, like, yo, can I have, a, can I have the CD? Can I have the, the dub plate? <laughs> For, you know, from what I've, I know from my, my own sort of experience as well, is it's like, when someone's interested in what you're doing, it's like, whoever, whoever they are, it's like that. That's why we do the music, you know, so, so we can kind of connect with people. So it's kind of, yeah, it doesn't it kind of doesn't matter who the person is. It's like if yeah, someone wants what we're doing, great. Let's kind of get involved. And and then from there, I linked up with um, other people like uh, Dub Judah, mm-hmm. for example. Oh, a legend. Yeah, yeah. Like it was crazy because I think I found his number on like a record sleeve or something like that, and I just thought, let me try the number to see if it works. And yeah, of course it worked, but. Um, I remember one time he rang me back um, because he couldn't answer the phone, so he called me back later on in that day. But I was actually, I was still in school. I was doing my GCSEs. And I didn't want to miss the call because I was like, Dub Judah's calling me. I can't just miss the call. <laughs> so I kind of like just told my teacher, oh, my parents are calling me. It's urgent. I have to answer the phone. So I kind of lied to my teacher so I could get out of the class. And I answered the phone to Dub Judah, just acting cool, like, like there was no problem about it or something. And why, why were you, um, so you, you were like collecting like dubs and stuff and kind of, um, and what, did you have any plans? Like, you know, I, I want to play these out and stuff. Was there some kind of... There was like, a, I had the plan in the back of my mind, like, I want to have a sound system one day. Like, that's why I want to collect all these sort of rare tunes and like exclusive tunes. So by the time I have a sound, I've got a selection of tunes because... That's just as important as having the sound as well. You need to have a good selection. Um, so I was just doing stuff like that. Like um, there was another dub plate, which I. Uh, it was a funny story as well. Like with King Earthquake, um, I used to talk a lot with him as well on the phone as well. Like just I used to kind of pester him for a, a dub plate of his, called Hornsman. And at that time, it was kind of new, and like it was really like tearing up the sessions whenever. Just the one, the sort of slow one. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the one. And I was lucky enough to even visit his studio as well before the disaster. A couple of times I went there, and yeah, after about a year or something, he kind of gave in to all my phone calls and was like, "Okay, I'll give you the dub plate." So he cut it for me on acetate and gave it to me and the master CD as well. And then, yeah, from there, I just carried on collecting dub plates from people. When it, if I could find a tune that I wanted and find the artist, then I would just try and reach out to them. And how were you, were you like recording the sessions and stuff and then going back and listening to them and whatever? Or 
because obviously you're hearing a tune in the dance, it's not easy to remember what you hear so many yeah. tunes over a night. Um, I would have, I did try a lot to record on my phone, but back then camera phones were fairly new and the distortion on them they weren't very was good. terrible. So I used to rely on just remembering the hook or something. So I used to kind of like sing it out to them on the phone, like, you know, that tune of yours that goes do 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 sort of thing. So it, that was kind of like the only way that like, I'd have to try and remember that, like write a note on my phone, like, okay, this, those are the words. That's like, yeah, but it shows, you know, real, like a collector's like mentality because like, you know, not not everyone like is so deep into it that it's like, I, I want this tune and it's like, I'm going to try and find it and then go on a mission to do it because it's like, you know, even now in the kind of days of easy access over the internet or whatever, if because so, it's underground, it's not easy to find certain things and to contact certain people. Yeah, yeah, you really have to kind of be dedicated to to find the tune. Like you kind of, and with the more you do it, the more you sort of hear the sort of distinct sound of a certain producer sort of thing. Like you can notice the disciples tune when you hear it. You notice vibronics when you hear it, and conscious sounds when you hear it, kind of thing. From there, you kind of, you can kind of, you know which sort of direction to go. But sometimes you end up at a dead end. Like you might think it's someone's, you ask them, and they're like, "I don't have no any any idea about this tune." Yeah, but they might they might point you in the right direction. But sometimes you just end up like that. You just got to keep trying. Obviously, at some point, um, you started to like like play to play out or to produce or what what kind of thing came next when you sort of got involved um, to the like next level. I'd say after searching for tunes, it was more like trying to build a sound sort of thing. Um, and it's not not easy when you're young and no, like living no, at home. Not, not at all. <laughs> Without a job, nothing. Like, too young to work. Um, but I started off um, getting a taste of it all with um, going with some of my DJ friends. They just they just do like commercial music and like clubs, weddings, raves, and those sort of things. Um, cause they used to have like a, a sound, not, not a proper dub sound system, but they used to have like a rig and I used to go with them to move it. Like that be like their box boy kind of thing. My friends like, so yeah, I need to big up Prit Nav and Grinder for that. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, from there I got a taste of it and they used to kind of let me drop a tune every now and then, like if the vibe was all right, if it was like a rave where people were like jumping around, they used to just let me drop one dub plate or something. Because if you're not like a lot of people are just not interested in like loading like boxes onto a van and like carrying them upstairs and like you know dragging wires around and stuff. But but for a lot of people, it's absolutely heaven. It's just to be part of that whole thing and like just build the, the big or little to build the sound from nothing and get it playing. And that's like you know here we are in a studio and that's how it is for me in a studio. I just love to plug it all in and yeah, get it working. Yeah. I think you have to have like a love for it to do it and. I enjoyed it a lot because I was with my friends anyway and yeah, that's how I kind of learnt the ropes. Like, it's getting a sound isn't just as pretty as it looks. There's a lot of uh, back pain and neck pain and injuries involved. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's hard work, definitely. Yeah. And then, yeah, so basically from there, I I, I was in touch with uh, Robert from West Sound and Power um, because we were from the same side of London and... He was selling some scoops basically at the time and I was just keen on getting them because I was like, I want to set up a sound and all that stuff. I was probably 17, I think, at the time. <laughs> and so I brought a set of four of him. I borrowed them. I didn't have no money, so I borrowed the money of a friend to finance this. 
Um, so I got the scoops off Robert and then I borrowed some amps off my DJ friends and I had like a half decent control tower. So that's the kind of start of the Indica Dub sound system. Yeah, like... yeah. And back then I didn't even call it Indica Dubs. I just called it Indica sound system. And that's why if you look on my records, it says ISS, not IDSS. Or... Okay. Because I, I, I still didn't have... Yeah, but it wasn't called Indica Dub Sound System then, it was just Indica. And then, um, yeah, from there I did like maybe two sessions or something with that sound. And where, where were these sessions? In Southwood as well. Like, it was a venue just like two-minute walk from Southwood Community Centre and it doesn't exist anymore though, but um, just did two sessions there. And how, how was that, like being a kid, playing out with your sound? And Yeah, yeah, it was amazing to be able to do to do such a thing, but... Because I was just a kid and I didn't have no sort of contacts or reputation or name or following. There was only like 30 people there or something like that. So for me, like, it wasn't possible to finance the sound. Like, I had to pay my friend back as well. And it had already been like over half a year and he's asking for his money back. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll get it for you soon. I'll get it for you soon. (laughs) Hoping that the next dance will pay for it kind of thing. That's a great introduction into kind of like (laughs) the reality of like running sound, promoting sound. That's the truth. It's not as pretty as it looks. It it looks all nice once it's all finished and done. But there's so much that goes on behind that. It's crazy. And so, yeah, eventually I had to sell the sound like, it, not, it hadn't even been a year that passed, I think. I had to sell it already. Um, yeah, still without, not not working and stuff. Like, I was just a student. Um, but I was still motivated that one day in the future I'll do it again and I'll do it properly like, with more caution and not as carelessly as I did. Because like you were saying earlier on about, like, you've got to have music as well as a sound. And I see a lot of people obsessed with collecting music and a lot of people obsessed with building sound. But it's hard to do both. Because they both take a lot of energy and a lot of money as well. You go and buying tunes, getting dub plates and building a sound. It's like, yeah, it's difficult to get it up to that level. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then, um, and obviously, you know, people know you as someone who runs a label and like see your music being released and your collaborations with loads of people. And like, how, how did you get into making music? Have you always been musical? Um, not really. <laughs> um but actually, yeah, if I think back to when I was like nine years old or something, like my mum used to take me to the to the Sikh temple, the Godwara, basically, to play the tabla, um, like practice there and stuff once a week. But besides that, I had no sort of experience, not with making tunes. And it's something I always wanted to do, though, but I just didn't know where to start kind of thing. But luckily for me, um, one of my uncles... Uh, ended up having happened to be my teacher in dub basically like I didn't even know he existed until I was about 17 or something because he always lived in Spain and he happened to just see my sister one day and she saw him wearing a shaka t-shirt she's like oh Suk listens to that music as well and he's like get out of here no he doesn't like he because he's probably thinking I'm listening to just like Bob Marley and stuff like just commercial level reggae and then he, he he told her to call me basically like there and then. So he kind of cross-examined me on the phone. Like, he said, what do you know? Like, who do you know? And you know what I mean? Like, what artists do you know? And at the time I was buying records of like yours. There was a new like dub creator 10-inch that came out. Just naming these sort of names. And 
he was like, whoa, you actually... He realised you, you knew know, what you were talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, like, he actually knows some, some stuff. <laughs> and then um, then he just asked me the the sort of million-dollar question. He's like, do you know how to make tunes? And I was like, no. And that's all it took him to say, um, I can teach you sort of thing. I didn't nice. know he could make tunes, but he goes, I can teach you. And I was like, yeah, that, I would love to learn sort of thing. And um, within a couple of weeks later, he came over with, like, a small MIDI keyboard, uh, audio interface, and some basic software. And he sat me down with him, and he just built some sketches in front of me, like very basic ones, just for me to kind of understand how things work and just teach me about scales and chords. And then he kind of put me on the spot, and he was like, okay, you sit down now, you play your bass, do this. And I was just like, I'm quite a shy person and nervous Like when someone tries to put me on the spot like that. So I was like... I was like, no, no, I'll just wait till you go home and I'll do it myself. But if he had let me do that, I don't think I would have actually done it. Like he actually, he gave me that push I needed because otherwise I would have kept trying to just like stride away kind of thing. That's it. And also the, the, that thing of having someone showing you how it works, it's like, it seems, you know, we, we do it every day. So it's totally normal to us now. And then now you can just look on YouTube and whatever and see people do it. But when you don't know and it's like, how do you? And if someone shows you, you get these drums, you get these sounds, you put them together and, like, you know, the, the essence of it is quite simple. It's just a few elements. But when you see it being played in, it's like, that's it. Off you go and make some yourself. That's a real kind of, like, sort of light bulb goes on moment, yeah, I yeah. think. Yeah, yeah, because I did try and learn music before he, um, before he came to teach me. Me and my friends that were DJ with, um, that were DJ, sorry, and... Yeah, we we tried um, making tunes like dub tunes as well, like, but it just didn't work. It just, just didn't know where to start. Like, we were starting with chords, for example, rather than having a tempo set and stuff like that. Like, those sort of things. Like, those little things. Yeah, the ba- the absolute the, basics. Yeah, yeah. You, 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 they seem really <laughs> simple, but they're not. You need someone to show you. This is how you do it. Yeah, yeah. How to put drums and patterns and things like that. And so from there, you started making your own tunes and kind of getting a bit immersed in that, I guess. Yeah, yeah. From there, I... Because I'm sure I remember seeing pictures of, like, bedroom studio or <laughs> something. So yeah, did yeah. you kind of dive into doing that then? Yeah, yeah. I just started... I just carried on making music, like, just practising a lot because at that time I wasn't ready to release something because, yeah, you know, in your first years, it's just like you're still learning and it wasn't ready Um but he he would come and visit me every few weeks to teach me new tips and tricks. Um, but in terms of releasing, I think my f- my first release was 2010. Um, and I happened to just be on the phone to JT Kabela Amluk at the time because, yeah, I was still linking people for dub plates and stuff. And I just happened to talk to him about what I wanted to do next. I really wanted to do something in the dub community. Like, I was still ambitious. Um, and I just said to him, like, can we do a tune kind of thing? Like, uh, he asked me what kind of thing are you looking for? Because I knew if I let someone like him make it, it'd be more professional and more... Yeah, he's a like great a, producer. Yeah, definitely. like a proper proper song. I still didn't have any money at the time, so I borrowed the money from my sister to press the records. So big up to her for, for helping it all begin. And then, um, yeah, from there, I I sold, like maybe not not that many units at first because it's just the first release kind of thing. Like Yeah, and you've got to learn who the people slow. are and how yeah, it works. Yeah, the business and, and stuff. Yeah. So it was kind of slow at first, but um, 
I think like a month later, Shaka was playing in Tufnell Park. Like he does the carnival weekend session there. And yeah, I was surprised um, to find out, like I, I didn't get to go, but I found out the week later that he played the tune there. And then before I knew it, I was getting emails from shops and stuff saying, yeah, can we buy 10 of this, 50 of that, blah, blah, all that stuff. And Well, it's something I talked about, I think either the last podcast or the one before, but about how... You know, sound systems are the promotional tool for for music, and obviously in the current environment, we're not going to get started on that. But like, you know, with, without dances happening, yeah, it makes it very different. But that is uh, that's always the way it's worked. Is the sound system plays the tune, people kind of vote with their feet, if you like. Yeah, and, yeah. But when someone like Shaka plays your tune, especially when you're starting out, I, I mean, I found it such a sort of confidence boost that, that people, you know, like when, when Abashanti and Irish and Steppers and Josh Shaka played my very, very early tunes, it's like the, these are these people people I look up to. These exactly. are these sessions. I've never heard bad music in these dances and they're playing mine. And it's like, why? it's almost a bit like, why are you playing mine? You know, I mean, you've got some better ones to play, but it's very good for your confidence, I find. Yeah. I also was learning a lot from Dougie as well, uh, Conscious Sounds. He taught me a lot of... Well, like, tips and tricks for producing and stuff. I, I, whenever I go there, we always crack a lot of jokes and stuff. That's like... That's standard with Dougie. <laughs> I mean, all you've got to do is listen to the podcast, <laughs> the interview we have, and see where Dougie's coming from. But, That's like, the... but also, but Dougie's brilliant at sharing, yeah. um, like, you know, his knowledge of, yeah. like, you know, he's got huge knowledge of, of making music and producing it and releasing it, and he's happy to share that with people, and that's, like, that really helped me when I started out. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing with him. Like, I felt like he's a genuine person, and he wanted me to actually go far and set, set me in my path. Not like some people that only want you to reach a certain stage and not pass them kind of thing. That with Dougie, was, it was, I never felt that with him. And then I, I also linked, the same sort of time I linked up with uh, Entebbe, and they kind of uh, helped me get some recognition as well because they they put me on their radio show basically. They gave me a, a slot on their radio show, and yeah, just things like that kind of let me show people like what I make and what I'm about, kind of thing. Gave me a platform basically. Because it definitely seems to be something that I've seen in what you do is, and here you know here we are in Leicester in the Dub Cupboard Studio talking about like collaborating and stuff, and it's like you seem to you know to do a lot of collaborations with people and work with people on things. And, it's, you know, from what you're saying, it sounds like that's been involved from the start of what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, I really like to just bring in other people because you get loads of other ideas as well and different flavours of tunes. Like, I think if I made all my releases solely by myself, it, it, it would eventually start to sound the same after a while, probably. At least when I involve other people, they can bring in a certain instrument that just changes the whole, the whole flavor of the song, for example. And it's yeah, it's all about working together because it's it's uh, we can only move forward if we all work together, really. So obviously, you started releasing lots of music, and um, you know, records started people buying your music, and you started to get known, and then. I guess it started to get invited to play out in more places as well. Like, I guess is that what happened? Yeah, um, I think after my third release, I got invited to play out. Um, but the funny thing was, it wasn't even, it didn't, the thought didn't even cross my mind or like the the idea of being booked to play in a different country was never something I even, wasn't even in my plans or anything. Like, I hardly knew there were sessions going on outside of the UK either. Um, I knew there was, like I might have seen a shuckle flyer in a different country, but 
I never thought it would be me one day doing, playing in a different country. Um, so I had a message from a guy called Robbie and Bratek from Poland. They got a sound called Panda Dread. Yeah, yeah. We know them. And yeah, yeah, big up to them. Yeah, and, the um, <laughs> and they, um, yeah, they sent me a message one day just saying, oh, we'd like to invite you to play on our sound. Well, would you like to come to Poland? And I was in my head, I was just like, what? Like, is this for real? Like, is someone really, they, people really want me to come out to wherever they're based and play my music to them, show them like what kind of music. I'm always still like, wow, like, um, but yeah, they, they set up like three sessions for me. Like I did a whole weekend, like Friday night, Saturday night. And this Sunday is your, your night. first like European this is my tour. First, uh, yeah, yeah. My first ever experience of doing sessions outside of the UK. First time in Poland. Yeah, yeah. And I was think I was just 21 years old or something like that. And like, I had no idea what to expect, man, because all I knew was sessions in London, basically, like dark room and all that stuff. But like, I went to play in Poland and it was, yeah, still the same sort of principle, like dark room and stuff. And, um, but yeah, the whole crowd was different. Like I, I was used to seeing like mainly black and brown people in a, in an event, but Obviously, being Europe and stuff, it is more a white populated sort of thing. And the crowd was more mixed. Like, there was more, it was a more like a 50 50 of male and female. Yeah, no, nothing like Southall. Not like Southall, where it was 99 and 1% ratio difference. So you started to play, you know, because I guess you know, I started to notice your name about as like a, a someone who was playing like all over the place and soon after I got invited to play in Sweden I think and then France and before I knew it it was getting more and more regular but you were still releasing music still, as well yeah yeah I was still pushing out releases I think I was almost for about four or five years straight I was doing like one release a month like I was going for it and yeah before I knew it, I was just playing more and more often like I, I've even played like South America and stuff like I can't, still can't believe that I've been there a couple of times. Like, it's crazy. And yeah, it's not. I mean, again, it's a lot of these things come up regularly on the podcast, and it's like it was such a surprise for me that like there is a scene in different places, and that I would be there playing my music in those places because things start from such humble origins, don't they? There's yeah. like you know, and especially you know if you if you're starting in a in the UK and you go into underground sessions in Leicester or in Southall or something, then it just doesn't, you know, there's no link to like, yeah, but there's also underground sessions in like Bogota and yeah. in Colombia and in Lyon in France and, you know, all these millions of places where there are. You just don't, you, you would have no idea. Yeah, yeah. And then like people will come up to you wanting photos with you and like to ask you to sign records that they've already bought from you in the past and... Also giving you gifts and stuff like all that was really like just humbling to know like people appreciate what you do like all the music you make and stuff well speaking of like you know dark rooms and giving back to the people then like more recently you've you've set up the indica dub sound system kind of like big time and you've kind of you know you you you, you built the sound up to to quite a thing now yeah, yeah. Um, that um, also, yeah, it was like I said before, it was like, it's something I always wanted to do again later on in life. Um, but this time I felt a bit more confident because I had already done like 50, re 50 releases already. Um, and 
people knew who I was and I was playing out often and stuff like that. I've played on plenty of sound systems as well. So I kind of thought, all right, maybe now I could give it a shot. Like, I, coincidentally, I was also on the phone to JT Kabila. I'm like, again, like, the way I started it, to release yeah, big it. Up, big up, Jamie. <laughs> yeah, big up. He doesn't, I don't think he knows how much sort of, like, impact or changes he's helped me go through. But, um, yeah, with his sort of, with his, with his help, he sort of helped me source a lot of stuff for the sound and help me just guide me and put me on a on a good path like to start out with as well like he he was with me for my first sessions and stuff to make sure the sound was all good throughout the night and stuff yeah because when you're doing it at a higher level so for a start you've got much higher power yeah. um you know professional equipment but you're doing it for people who are paying money to come in and be entertained and stuff and you can't you can't mess around then you've got no, you've yeah. got to come correct yeah and, yeah like, it has to be all on point like so he was a sound engineer for me, just making sure everything's perfect, basically. And, yeah, from there, um, I, I, I didn't know what to expect, though. Like, I, I was a bit more confident than the last time I had a sound, like, 12 years ago. But um, I, before we launched this one, I was still a bit nervous because I was just like, what well, if it happens again, like what happened last time sort of thing. And and we, and we kind of kept the project a secret, like... Uh, when I even when I announced that I got a session with the sound, I kind of I didn't show any pictures of the sound or nothing. I kind of wanted to keep that mysteriousness because yeah, just, we love yeah, that. Come, sort of, yeah, come yeah. to the session and check it come, out. Yeah, yeah, come and see it for yourself. Come and hear it. I didn't want to show off like what was going on or nothing like that. I just kind of wanted to keep it all like secret. And from there, I've 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 had a lot of uh, changes on the sound since then. Like with the help of Kai from QSS, um, he's He's taken me under his wing, and we've upgraded a lot of stuff. And yeah, Kai is a super nice guy, and he, he yeah, you know, he's yeah. got so much experience. Of yeah, it. he knows this thing inside out, and uh, yeah, with him, we've taken the sound to another level. Like, I'm really happy with it, man. Well, actually, happy is a bit of an understatement. I say like blown away with it. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, well, one thing I wanted to ask you about with the sound is that um, you've made a commitment to like to play with a deck to play with a turntable to play dub plates and vinyl and acetate and why why do that in like you know the 21st century <laughs> i don't know i don't know how to use a usb <laughs> no, i'm joking um i don't know i mean actually i do know obviously but it was more like um i kind of just there was a few reasons like one of them being like i just got a little bit bored of playing cd because you kind of you insert the disc press play press stop, press next, press play, and that's it, it's done. You can you can put a whole session on one CD if you really want to. But with the, with the vinyl, it's like how I first got introduced to this music anyway, it was through vinyl. And just seeing the record play and stuff and just doing the whole, the motion, going through the motion, like playing the record, pull it up and dust off the needle if there's dust on it. And also because I, I released a lot of vinyl as well, like I felt like I was like cheating on myself if I'm releasing vinyl but playing CD. I'm not, I'm not going to say any format is better than the other or one way is right, one way is wrong, because everything is, is all, everything is acceptable. If the message is played at the end of the day, it's fine. Um, so I, I don't criticize anything anyone does. But just for me personally, I just thought to myself, I'm cheating myself if I'm playing CDs and then saying, brand new 10-inch, listen to this one, and press play on the CD player, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, I do. And, you know, <laughs> we were talking earlier on about the studio, I just refitted the studio, and it's like, 
you know, I, I don't have to have loads of equipment in the studio. I can happily do stuff in a computer. The level of quality is amazing from computers these days. But to enjoy it, I enjoy using an analog studio and plugging in wires and having all these crazy old effects. And I can see how if you're going to run sound system to enjoy it more by just the act of having your records and dubs and playing it physically is kind of... Yeah, it's a similar kind of thing. It does make sense. The, the the only sort of like drawback of playing a turntable, well, not only, there's quite a few, but um, you can get a lot of technical problems because it's, it's, yeah, it's ancient technology. As and when is. you're playing at the high power that we get nowadays, yeah. there's so much you vibration to, in the room. You have to take so much, uh, so much action just to kind of make it work, like, like concrete slabs, foams, sheets of foam, all sorts of things, like special rubber feet, isolation feet. Um, the other thing is like the weight of the records, it weighs a ton, like if you're going to go somewhere. And, but the good thing is, yeah, you can't beat the smell of a dub plate, though. Like when you open your record bag and that smell just hits you in the face. Like. What, what's the reaction from, from people being, do to, 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 to people notice that you're playing like vinyl and acetate do yeah people, yeah do people it, see that and what, yeah. what, what do they make of it they definitely notice like i'm not even just saying it to promote vinyl but they definitely notice it because people just i see people watching it and trying to look at what the song is called or something but because it's a dub play all i've got is just my crappy handwriting on it um with the song title K- killer vibronics <laughs> dub 24 <laughs> exactly like that's all it says on it basically i don't write like a whole story or anything like that on it um but i see people responding to it and they i can hear people shouting like pull up pull up like like doing the signal with their hands because they can see the thing spinning you know what i mean um that sort of stuff so i think they i think they do feel like it's a nicer experience i think that because also you got to keep in mind like you can only take a certain amount of records with you when you travel somewhere so you kind of got to think beforehand like what you're going to play and so you got to pick your best tunes. You can't just wing it and just you kind of had to think about it beforehand. And so you put a lot more thought into it. So I think you kind of make yourself play your, the best of what you got rather than taking a a bunch of CDs and you kind of feel a bit, it's a bit more lazier. I felt a bit more lazier that way because you know you got all your tunes. You can you can just pick whatever. Like That's a vibe as well in itself. But, but you, you got to make a bit more of a commitment in advance, like when you got to like pack your vinyl. It's bag. not like you got you can't be like I got to see where the vibe goes. You got to be like okay, I got to create the vibe and make it go. It's that sort of thing. And you're based. Obviously, we talked a lot about Southall, but at the moment you're based over in Belgium and you're running the Ghent Dub Club. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And what what what's the vibe like over there with like you know what what's what's going on in Ghent? Um. Yeah, it's completely different to back in Southall community. That's but, it, I'm sure, yeah. But it's, it's yeah, I don't think it, I could wish for anything better because um, we've had three great sessions so far and the people really um, are really responsive to our sessions. We have like the same people returning and I get people messaging me all the time um, that they want sessions more frequently because we only do it once a year at the moment. And so it's a long time to wait for the next it's, one. It's a it? long time, but we make sure it's it's worth the wait. Like yeah. we don't just bring like a, a half lineup or something. We make sure we go all out. Um like for the for the first session I had, I brought down Young Warrior with his full sound system. 
which he, he drove from London yeah, to, yeah, to Belgium. Yeah, they drove in two vans and they came over and stuff like that. So it's not like it, it happens every day, do you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. that was my first ever uh, sound meet as well. And I look up to Young Warrior a lot as well. He probably doesn't know it, but because he's also like from the new school generation and he's, yeah, he's been quite like a, a leader in, in this sort of generation in, in that way. Yeah, definitely. He's got real like political commitment and stuff yeah, as well. Yeah. And so I, I, looked up, I look up to that a lot and yeah, I need to big him up enough for that. And yeah, for, for the first session, we had like 600 people to start with. And I think that was quite a good amount of people like, to get numbers like that it was better than um, thirty in South. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I definitely topped it by uh, by quite a lot. <laughs> and then um, after that, I the year after we brought um, Abishanti and Kibre Ethiopia to play on my sound. And this time we moved to another venue, which is is it's in the same area, like five hundred meters away or something like that. Um, but we needed something a little bit bigger. Um, and this time we had another three hundred people on top of last time. And, and and this year, just before the lockdown, luckily we, we squeezed in our... It's like that, the last dance in Belgium or something. last dance, yeah, yeah. We squeezed in our last session um, for this year, which we brought Channel One with their full sound system. And yeah, that, that, that massive legends. For, for me, like, I looked up to them all my life and stuff. So for me, it's a big thing to bring someone like that to have a sound meet with me. That's like been my dream for like half my life if that yeah, yeah, you know totally. what I mean? to go from being in the dance being a kid yeah and like yeah. just watching it all thinking wow this is amazing yeah to being you know playing with people with and, them yeah yeah, yeah. So to be able to invite yeah, them it's man. amazing like movement definitely and then we had like we had 1200 people in the session and for me i've never seen that many people inside the dub session like indoors like that like i was just blown away with the response and it's really humbling to see like the amount of support we get. Um, but yeah, I think people really like the things that we do. Like we, we make sure that it's enjoyed. Like for, for me, my, I don't mind too much. I'm not really an event organizer. Like I've never been an organizer. These are the first ever times we've organized an event and we don't have no sponsors or nothing. We just self-fund it, self-promote it, self-organize it. It's all like family and friends involved. And the main goal for me is to make sure the artists and the public have a, a, a great time and everyone's happy and safe. That's the main goals for us. Um, I've because I've made a loss in the past with with these events, and it's just it's just a hit that I have to take kind of thing and just you brush it off. And you, yeah, if you're going to do promotions, you have to have some serious determination. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I was also asked by another person, like an interview person, asked me like, "Do you feel stressed out like before the dance? Because you're also organizing it, but you're also playing." I was like, no, I don't know at all, man. Like, I'm two different, it's two different things for me. Like, it's just that, it's just something that I'm organizing because I want to do it. Like, no one's forcing me to mm-hmm. to do it. And if I make a loss, I've made a loss then. And at least I've had a great night and spent time with the artists that I, I grew up listening to and create some great memories. So Belgium's like, I think it's, it might have been the first place outside of UK that, that Vibronics ever played. And... um and it's like it, there's, there's just a big scene for dub and sound system in in, in Belgium. It's kind of there's, there's there's a strong vibe there, definitely. Yeah, yeah, and especially because it's like such a small country, it's surrounded by like France, Germany, Netherlands. So people travel from far and wide. Like for for the session we done earlier this year before the shutdown, before the lockdown, 
um, we had people flying from Russia and like Greece and Cyprus and all over France, Netherlands, Spain, Italy, like you name it. Like, I would never have imagined such a thing. Like, like it's it's great. It's crazy. Well, um, the other thing is uh, the kind of question I'm asking people at the end of the interview, which is the one I've asked everybody, is um, is just to like I've got this book, the Book of Dub. And I write everyone's name in it, and I just ask people what they want associated with like their name. So if I'm writing like indica dubs, what would you want written next to your name? Something that you want associated with it? Um, I think for giving back to the older generation, I think um, because for me it's important that we look after the ones that inspired us, because it's really easy for. Uh, people to get left behind especially in these digital times um, with a lot of you know social media and stuff like that and it it's hard to get it's I mean it's easy to get uh, left behind because if you can't keep up with things like that for example and there's so many new people coming in so we have to acknowledge well um, how much work the elders have put in like yourself and Sounds like Shaka and stuff who kind of went through all that struggle and stuff when sessions didn't even exist back then or, or tunes didn't exist how they exist now. So you guys kind of set the way and set the path for people like me and younger than me to kind of come and and make a name for ourselves as well, like a lot easier than it was for, for you guys. Yeah, I mean, it's just stuff that got, you know, I think it just gets handed down. I got so much inspiration and like vibes and, and information and stuff handed to me from people elder to me and then I try and pass that on to people and it's just kind of, you know, it's it's great to see that kind of continual cycle of it all. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, um, yeah, I, just, I think that's most important because if it wasn't for all that struggle the elders went through, then it wouldn't have been, it, the scene wouldn't be what it is today, how it is today. And, yeah, I just try and do things like, well, if anyway, if they ever need help with something, like they just ask me a few things and with technical stuff online and stuff, I help them if anyone like, and just doing things like booking them for sessions or making tunes with them, for example, all these sort of things help because it keeps everyone's name and it keeps their name in the forefront, and that's that's what I want to see for the rest of my days, at least as long as I can. Well, Suk, thank you for joining me for the podcast. It's been really interesting. So. Nice. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. I've enjoyed it a lot. Thanks again for joining me and Indica Dubs for this 17th episode of the Life in Dub podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to Life in Dub, and if you enjoy the podcast, please share it. You can still get yourself an I Live My Life in Dub t-shirt, but some sizes have now sold out, so just follow the link at lifeindub.com. Don't forget to keep an eye out for the new Scoops Gold Disc Classic reissue series on 7-inch and digital, and I'll see you all again in two weeks for the next Life in Dub podcast.